What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the show, I sat down with a real estate agent who did 80 million in personal production last year. He's the owner of Bit Realty. He's got 22 agents at his firm. He's also started and scaled the Sotheby's franchise. Welcome to the show, Ryan Beckett. Welcome to the show today, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to, to talk to our listeners today about what you're doing in real estate and the marriage of that plus technology. Why don't you give our, our listeners here a quick bio of how you got to where you are today? Okay, so me in a nutshell, I went to Florida State University. I double majored in finance and real estate. It's one of the few uh, universities I'm aware of that has a four-year major so that was that that residential or commercial real estate so we touch on both we touch on both it doesn't uh bifurcate into a separate thing it's just uh just a you know we study real estate law real estate appraisals and it's a four-year degree what's cool about that is that four-year degree has allowed me to just send my transcripts to most of the 50 states and i can get and sit for my broker's license automatically i don't have to have an experience requirement don't have to have a reciprocal agreement with the state of florida it just sending them my transcripts, they approve it. I can fly up to that state and sit for my broker's license. So I do have my license in the state of New York and California as well. Um, I started uh, randomly in equestrian real estate. I grew up in Boca Raton, Florida, and there's a suburb of Palm Beach called Wellington. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm from Boca actually. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, went to, I went to Pope John Paul for high school there. And, okay. Uh, I lived, uh, I lived down the street from there on, on military trail. Oh, small world, small world. Yeah. So um, I went into real estate uh, as a major and then I did finance too because it dovetailed nicely. I always thought I was going to go into commercial real estate, moved to New York City. Long story short, I played club lacrosse at Florida State. My lacrosse coach was doing a real estate development in Wellington. So he recommended me to the polo club and I started in equestrian sales and I didn't grow up around horses, but it was such an interesting niche because it was a high wealth, blue blood, really interesting demographic that were animal lovers like me. Um, and I'm always kind of a student of business. So I got to have people in my car, clients, names that you and the audience would recognize that are magnates uh, in business. Um, so they or their kids ride or whatever. So I had the opportunity to uh, rub shoulders with some people that I otherwise wouldn't. Um, after being there for a while, I co-founded a Sotheby's franchise uh, called Equestrian Sotheby's there. Um, we scaled that, a uh, pretty boutique market, and I think I thought we re- reached our glass ceiling. Um, so I exited out of that, had one of my partners buy me out, and then I started my current firm about five years ago, which is called Bit Realty. Uh, I was saying before the podcast, my horse friends thought I did it because of the horse bit. My crypto friends thought I did it because of Bitcoin. In actuality, I just wanted a name that wasn't a stuffy Cadillac brand like Sotheby's. I uh, got very familiar with in that regard. So Bit just means technology. So Fitbit means fitness technology. Bitcoin's called Bitcoin because that means technology currency. 
So bit realty in essence means technology, real estate. So I wanted to be a little bit more forward thinking, you know, start to get into smart contracts, uh, crypto transactions, uh, cloud brokerage for my agents. I have 22 agents now. Um, I plan to scale into other areas, including Ocala and Tampa, uh, New York, California, but I'm waiting until I finish my dissertation. I'm, I'm getting a doctorate in business at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, just outside of Orlando. And long story short, my dissertation topic, which I'm uh, almost done with, hopefully, knock on wood, is the tokenization of real estate. And, you know, NFTs have been in the, the news a lot. Fractalized ownership of art is pretty far down the road relative to other industries. And it's a pretty simple thing. We can go into it later in the podcast or whenever you think it's appropriate. But all it is really simply put is fractalized ownership of a real estate asset. Um, people ask me, how is that different than a REIT? Quick answer is that REITs own whole buildings in a large portfolio where you solve real estate's greatest problem with the tokenization because you unlock its liquidity. Because a, a commercial building like One World Trade Center, for example, has no liquidity. So you have a liquidity discount without getting too nerdy about it. So if you treat One World Trade Center like a stock, like you would Uber when Uber's private and then goes public, when it goes public, you've created a liquidity event, whether you have $500 or $5 million, you can invest in and out of Uber. Same thing would happen with the uh, One World Trade Center example, whether you have $500 or $5 million, you can trade in and out of said asset. Um, and like- So company, people would be buying, people would be buying one specific part or piece of one World Trade Center in this example? That's right. In this example, the token would represent basically like a digital stock certificate, for example. So you'll own a certain amount of equity of One World Trade Center. So say it spends off a million dollars a month in rent rolls and you own 5% of the tokens, uh, the equity of the building, then in theory, you would be due 5% of that dividend. Yeah, that's. I could see where that would be a, a useful application of of you know this this kind of new technology of tokenization um how how long do you think it might take to to get to where this actually happens or is it already happening so it's a great question so that's actually the crux of my dissertation it's not a theorized idea is this going to happen it's more on what is the theory of adoption you know you could go through uh, driving a gasoline car when people came and started to become more mainstream or the cell phone uh, or sending money via PayPal rather than writing a check. So it's how does and when does and will it actually happen in terms of mass adoption? That's really kind of the crux of the question. Um, it, to answer your question more directly, it is happening now. There's a very, very well-known and well-respected company, consequently out of Boca Raton called Realty, letter T, um, they're tokenizing about uh, $800 million worth of their real estate portfolio, and they advertise uh, their token just like a stock. They give you quick ratios. They tell you how much each token costs. They tell you what the yield is. They do the management of the building, if it's a quad plex in Miami or wherever it might be, and then they release the dividend based on the rent every two weeks. So they have a strong domestic demand of United States investors, but they have an extreme demand, uh, as the CEO told me, of their international, because international buyers are like, you mean I can own a piece of equity in different United States income producing properties, they manage it and they release me the dividend biweekly. 
no brainer. So um, they have significant demand on uh, international investors. So much so that's why they credit when they release these tokens uh, to be available. They do it on an auction type format. They sell out on that quadplex uh, on average two to three minutes. They said, where, where do they uh, put these up for sales? Is it, is it on like, you know, like a Coinbase, MetaMask, or you know, because I know some people are probably familiar with trading yeah, so crypto and NFTs. So right now they do it uh, amongst their own community. So Realty has developed their own group of investors and community, and they have a mailing list and updates and all that stuff. That's really where the nascent industry has to go because you can find a lot of people that think it's a great idea to unlock liquidity on their real estate asset. What is not there quite yet is a uh, market or an exchange, if you will, where whether the New York Stock Exchange adopts this or someone starts a new one from scratch, where people can go in a marketplace and exchange these tokens um, back and forth. That's where the industry needs to catch up. And the industry needs to educate the consumer uh, as well, A, to be aware of it, first and foremost, B, a level of understanding and comfortability with the new investment vehicle. Do you think this will trickle over into residential real estate? And if so, what, what would the impact be? So it's a great question. I believe just in terms of getting, you know, your mental arms around it, commercial is just a lot easier to understand and appreciate as it relates to an investment property. I think the next pragmatic bridge would be residential that are investment properties. So it's residential four townhomes as a quadplex. And then people can tokenize that. So you can bring investors groups in there. So basically all they're doing is they're wrapping that quadplex in an LLC and then providing tokens that represent the uh, fractionalized equity. Um, on a primary residence, even for me, it's harder to see what that would look like unless someone wants to buy something cash and then they could uh, get liquidity of their own investment by releasing 20%, 30%, not a controlling interest of equity on their, uh, on their asset. But again, I think commercial at this point, it makes a lot more sense. And then we'll see how it bleeds in. It's a great question. And I, I don't, not sure, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. We're still in the forefront of a lot of these, uh, tech, you know, new technologies to call it. Well, um, what about crypto in the realm of residential real estate? I think just with how the transaction is done, that's one implication that's out there. Uh, I've heard of title work implications with, with, you know, blockchain technology specifically too. What, you know, what, what other ways do you think crypto and blockchain could impact real estate? Hold that thought for a second. Do you struggle with how to scale your real estate business without trading your most valuable asset, your time for money? If so, Carrie and I want to help you. Since March of 2020, we have doubled our sales and tripled our profit. And we want to help you grow your real estate business in a smart way at the Hyperfast Summit in Boca Raton, Florida on February 1st and 2nd, 2022. We're bringing together top real estate leaders to help agents from all over the world. Go to hfasummit.com for tickets. Again, that's hfasummit.com for tickets. So in regards to buying properties in crypto, it happens a lot more in markets like LA. I mean, LA gets things in like fashion and, sure. and, uh, and, and nutrition, whatever, you know, uh, before us usually. I mean, that's changing, as you well know, in Florida, we've definitely 
accelerated our tech industry, uh, our finance industry, our public transit, it's really changing dramatically, which is really exciting to see here uh, in the state of South Florida. So what happens is when Bitcoin is in a dip, you know, it's in a low thing, you see, of course, a lot fewer real estate transactions, because a lot of people are like, all right, well, I'm believing it's going to go up. So I'm not going to liquidate my position. It'd be like selling your stock when it was doing a dip when you think it would correct itself. Bitcoin uh, is a very volatile asset still. Uh, It's a store of value. It's non-corollary. I tell my friends, even if you only have 1% of your wealth in it, at least it has a non-corollary factor like most of the other things that preserve your purchasing power. You know, we're talking about inflation in the news. So, you know, gold does that. Gold sometimes has an inverse relationship to the market. So equity markets go down inflation goes up, uncertainty in the markets, people run to gold as a, a gold as a safe haven. What you're starting to see is people are using Bitcoin, for example, as a similar store of value. It's non-corollary. What makes it beautiful is there's an exact defined supply of it. It's specialist right. in terms of moving money. Um, and to directly answer your question, what's happening, and it sounds a lot sexier than it is, but it'd be like if I had a client here in Florida that wanted to buy a property from me that is from Europe and they have euros as their currency. Um, of course, if they're buying a million dollar property, they would just have to convert that exchange, whatever the exchange rate for euros to US dollars in, in escrow, and then they can buy the home. Right now, there's not a lot of sellers that want to take the Bitcoin um, as, as payment. Um, and there's some other nuances in paying doc stamps in certain municipalities, most of them uh, to this point. Some actually do, but you can't pay those in Bitcoin yet. So you still need US dollars to pay the title insurance, transfer tax, things like that. But ironically, there's a big company, well-known company called BitPay. What they do is they allow you to liquidate your large position. You know, We'll go with the million dollar number right away, immediately in escrow. Um, they take a point, they take risk of volatility, they put it into USD right away. Um, so you can imagine, say you bought, um, or you have a client that bought Bitcoin real early, they have a $10 million uh, holding in Bitcoin. Like you're in Vegas, what better than take some money off the table <laughs> yeah. and you're playing with house money than to put it into real estate. So in that scenario, you have a $10 million guy in Bitcoin. They think Bitcoin's pretty high because it's hit historical highs in the last month or two. And they're like, hey, I'm going to use a million dollars out of my appreciation. I was early on and I got to buy myself a house anyways or my next investment property. So they'll go to my title company who uses that third party vendor bit pay and will do that and liquidate their position so they can purchase purchase that property. That said, I do have a couple listings where the owners have approached me now say like, hey, man, we'd actually you see NFL players doing it. uh, You see Joe Rogan doing it that we would be open to a part, a full you know, program where we accept Bitcoin. So it's interesting. And in our board here in Palm Beach County, our MLS board, they've always allowed fields for terms considered, which have always been cash, conventional loan, FHA, VA. Well, our MLS, which I can tell you, I love them to death, but they're not very forward thinking. They're always uh-huh. usually catching up. They've added Bitcoin. Now to when I input a listing, I can put that as an option of terms considered, which you know, it's all, it's all happening. It's all changing. So it's a very interesting time to be in the market and in the industry. Yeah. I, I think it's going to progress my, myself as well. You know, so I, I agree with a lot of points there. And, um, you know, as far as comparing it to gold, like we, we haven't seen gold go up. Um, it's, it's kind of stayed the same for a number of years now. And I think 
Bitcoin has the advantage in that it's, you mentioned the finite supply, but Bitcoin's also a lot more divisible. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to, you know, you know, like get out a, a pick and chop, chop ounces off of your, your, your pound of gold or whatever. Like, I, I just don't see that. Yeah. And I can say, I, I could, I could send you Bitcoin right now. We don't have to get a Brinks truck to yeah. bring up bars of gold over. It's a lot less frictionless. Uh, we don't need uh, fidelity or bank of America or a safety deposit box. We can have arguably some of the most secure technology we have ever had in the blockchain. And I can frictionally without friction, send you that payment. Uh, immediately so it's 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 a pretty amazing technology who knows it's like when the internet started in the late 90s could right. you imagine having a phone that you could run your whole business from 15 years later you know it'd be hard to really predict like a lot of people understood uh it's kind of revenge of the nerds in a way that this was going to be game changing in a lot of ways from from the business sector to the social sector to how people interact you know, there's some, of course, with positives, there's some negatives, as we talk about with social media. Um, so even for someone like me, that's really in it and studying it and a part of it, it's hard to really predict as to where it's going to go. But there is amazing potential. Yeah, what um, switching gears a little bit on the tech technology front, specifically for your agents and the brokerage, uh, what are you doing uh, to help them and to help the, the real estate consumer, you know, the buyers and sellers on the tech so, front. So it's a really interesting question. And uh, candidly, I've been waffling a lot on my modeling because, you know, I look at EXP. I think that guy originally started in physical therapy. Then he got into real estate. Now he's running a publicly traded 7 billion market cap company. Um, you see Compass, what they did with the IPO. Now Douglas Elliman is publicly traded. Um, And I waffle on um, letting the agent be their agent and giving them a really high split, which is somewhat unusual. Like in New York City, average split 60, 70%. In Florida, you have 90%, 100% firms that I equate to more like a spirit airlines. Now they're like just nickeling and diming you on a lot of little fees because whatever the business is, they got to get their money from somewhere. Otherwise, why be in business? So um, what I would say candidly is I'm debating, maybe I have a couple of tiers where I allow agents uh, to have their own um, autonomy uh, with a higher split because they're more or less uh, free range chickens. And then I have a high full range services where I provide leads, I nurture the leads until they're ready to be handed over, uh, things like CRM, uh, training, all those things. But at the end of the day, like I've tried to like come out with something really sexy and cool even Compass, I believe, started as an AI rental company in New York City. And by the time they went to their IPO, that was kind of the thing that they got a tough time with at real estate conventions and Inman conventions. They're like, how are you different than anyone else? Like, and I have friends that work for Compass and they're like, yeah, we got a cool key- CRM. And by the way, did you see how, hear how much money we raised? And when you ask Robert, <laughs> when you ask Robert Refkin, He's amazing flag bearer. And when he gets asked tough questions, he does a great political, in my opinion, political kind of spin, non-answer, you know, a lot of um, um, cheerleading as to what they're going to do and how much money they raise. But I don't really feel like there was a lot of meat in the bone on how Compass was really, quite frankly, different than the Douglas Elliman. So I've kind of become comfortable with the idea that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not a Redfin where you're paying the agents uh, salaries and something that's that different. You know, I've been waiting for the real estate market and uh, realtor industry to be disrupted and everyone talks about it. Everyone feels like it's ready to happen and it's going to happen. And just 
more or less 6% commission stay firm. And uh, although it's cheesy, I think it's providing good services. And what I seem to find interesting is a lot of brokers and brokerages don't look at the realtor as the customer. By definition, the customer is who pays you. And they seem to be so focused on the sellers and buyers, which of course is important as it relates to keeping your customer, the agent happy. So you really have to focus on the agent side of it. What are they wanting? What right. would differentiate you from other brokerages? And if you focus on what's going to make that happen, what makes that them happy in that regard, including keeping buyers, because if their clients aren't happy, your customer is not going to be happy, the agent. So um, still figuring that out, still figuring out what is the key uh, per se. Um, and maybe there's some elegance in not being overly crazy where you have like a network marketing scheme like Keller Williams or uh, EXP has. Um, there's a bunch of different ways to skin the cat and I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. Well, I, I think you're right that the agents are the customers for the brokers and the more tools you can give them to create happy customers for them, the more successful you're going to be. So really, 100%. I think it comes down to leads, training and support. You, you have to do one of those or more uh, really, really well. Like if you can, you know, to, to be able to capture value mm -hmm. from those agents, right? If, if you can provide good leads, if you could provide good training to get them more efficient or good support, whether that be admin staff, technology, CRMs, you know, I, th I think in general, you, you got to look in one of those three areas to be better than the competition. I couldn't agree more. And I've been looking at a just add water approach where, you know, they get in, uh, they're an agent or whether they're new or seasoned, and uh, they're all set up. They're ready to go. Um, we're going to do training. We're going to do lead nurture. Um, we're going to train them on the CRM. I have a very robust uh, uh, CRM that's provided by a company called Sync, which is really amazing. Does my uh, social media lead gen and my internet lead gen. Uh, very robust uh, platform. Uh, once I get bigger, I'd love to develop my own tech stack. But for now, as uh, starting and before I scale as boutique, it's nice to find third-party vendors because it took me a year or longer to find a CRM that I was really stoked about. Um, and just letting that, you know, kind of trickle through down to, uh, to the agents. I mean, I still do a little sales, even though I'm on the broker owner side, but I kind of enjoy it. It provides an extra supplemental income, but it also allows me to keep my finger on the pulse a little bit better and understand kind of the same uh, pain points that my agents, the customers are having. Hey, that's a great thought, but let me get to this question that I just got from one of my followers uh, right to my phone. Uh, by the way, did you know you can text me at 703-215-1684? This is a new thing I've rolled out. I'm letting my listeners and uh, people that subscribe and follow me on social media connect with me directly to my phone on text message. It's me answering them and, and responding. You can ask me anything about real estate, investing, business, whatever. Just text 703-215-1684 and I will respond to you. What's, what's your overall growth plan? How many, how many agents, markets, you know, do you want to get into uh, in the next year, in the next five years? So one of the things I'm uh, kind of playing with is do I want to do a franchise model or do I want to go privately? Uh, there's pros and cons to both. The beauty of franchising is you can scale a lot quicker. Um, anyone that knows Keller Williams story, Gary Keller, 
you know, he was a luminary in the space in Texas and he tried to scale. And once he got past, I believe, if I remember his story correctly, it was like three or four offices and he just couldn't duplicate himself in all those places. And the ball rolled back down the hill a lot of times and a lot of uh, not as gritty entrepreneurs probably would have given up or just stuck with the three or four offices. And he went to the franchise model um, and then, you know, became Keller Williams. So I'm looking at the franchise model. There's a school of franchising at a local university here. I've been talking with uh, about using it. The problem with franchising, I was a franchise owner with Sotheby's is that you really got to be careful on your quality control. Like McDonald's, the burgers got to taste the same in West Palm Beach that it does in Chicago. And you have to have a consistent brand experience. So, you know, I'd like to be everywhere. I'd like to be uh, New York, California, and Florida, some of the top real estate markets uh, to start. Um, I've been in uh, the tech startup area, so I don't have any ego or any hubris to think that things don't change once you learn more things. So you got to always leave the room, in my opinion, to pivot. So you got to have a plan. You got to be confident about it, but you got to leave room to learn something and evolve. So my next run up is to 50 agents by January 1. Um, get to that tier, kind of learn, kind of take stock. What are you, then, what are you doing to recruit them? How are you going to, how are you going to get them to. So on my CRM, I have a, on my CRM, I have a whole recruiting campaign on the, uh, I've been turning agents away uh, for a long time. And the agents I have ball approached me, they weren't happy at their brokerage, their split, their situation. And because I wasn't recruiting, they were coming to me. I go, listen, I'll give you a, I base my splits and my arrangement with each agent based on bandwidth of me. Um, you know, kind of like the Geller, the Gary Keller story. Um, I only have so much bandwidth. So right. if you're a seasoned agent and you're not going to take up a lot of my time in terms of training, helping you negotiate how to write contracts, then I give you a very significantly high split relative to the industry. 90%, no fees, not going to make you buy a stupid magazine, no tech fee, no, you know, none of that. Uh, if you were a newer budding agent, then you would probably be more on a 60 to 70 because now it's going to take more of my time and away from my still being able to do sales and what I actually, and the other agents, the other customers. So it's very, very simple. I actually find elegance and simplicity. Um, but going back to where I'm modeling, whether it's a franchise model with the different areas, um, having a model where I don't like want to do uh, network like EXP or Keller Williams. I rather go more wide than deep in that regard. Like maybe there's some incentive for someone bringing one person in, but none of this Mary Kay Amway type thing that, uh, you know, it's polarizing. Some people love it. Some right. people it really turns them off. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, pe people get passionate one way or, yes, or the other true. around that topic. Um, one, one, one last question on the, on the growth, on the expansion, how, what are you planning on doing, uh, you know, as you go from 20 to 50 to continue to build the infrastructure for those agents so that they're getting the value they need to be a happy client of you and your brokerage? So the candid answer, and I can't believe they don't teach this in business school. This is a guy that went to business school at undergrad, has an MBA and almost a, a doctorate. They don't teach delegation. There's not a class on delegation. And that's really kind of the biggest thing for scaling, whether in my opinion and experience, it's your own real estate business as a 
startup new realtor or real estate agent to being at my stage of the company. Uh, and I bring that up because I am a very self-aware, arguably maybe too self-aware of my strengths and my weaknesses. Um, I'm good at recruiting. I'm a good at negotiation. I'm good at networking. I have certain strengths. Um, my weaknesses are those admin things that a lot of people hate doing. So one of my biggest things to do is I'm bringing on more support staff, administration staff, because you don't want to open a restaurant without having everything ready to rock um, and good systems in place. That's why I have a staggered plan uh, in tiers uh, to go to a certain place and be like, okay, we're going to have to hire someone to process all our checks now that we have 50 agents and delegate things away from me that aren't my strengths so that my customers, the agents are, are very happy. And then, you know, just don't make a willy nilly goal to have 5,000 agents at the end of 2022, you know, actually have some time to have a progression of, uh, of what you learn. And then I like to listen to other people's opinions. I have a guy that scaled a lot of Keller Williams franchises. He does a lot of educational classes. He runs for uh, a major title company and I've hired him to help me consult because you know, even Tiger Woods at the height of his golf career had a swing coach. So it's important to have your own opinion, be passionate about it, uh, believe in yourself uh, as an entrepreneur and a business person, but also be willing to listen to both your customers, the agents, and also other third-party uh, uh, people that you're hiring to actually give you good advice. All right, Ryan, I appreciate you being on the show. I always like My to pleasure. end with the hyper-fast uh, round if you're ready for some rapid-fire questions and answers here. I'm ready. Let's rock. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate agent? Uh, there are riches and niches, like Warren Buffett mm. says. Uh, I think as real estate industry progresses, you got to find a niche. Anyone that says they do Palm Beach County real estate, I'm like, okay, you don't make any money. But if you say you do equestrian properties and you're one of five realtors that are on the top of their mind to call or... You start out, say you live in a high-rise building in Miami, start inside out, be the best person in that building, dress the right way, no price per square foot. When you're in the gym, talk to people. When you're at the pool, talk to people. Start getting listings and market share in that building and then go out from there. Next thing you know, you're starting to do high-rise condos in Brickell and be the best in that niche. It's the best advice I can give. All right, what's your biggest piece of advice to an experienced real estate agent? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question. So, um, know where you want to go. You know, I've waffled on, uh, different things with regards, like I can make way more money with a lot less stress by just focusing on my real estate business and just selling in Wellington and just selling on Palm beach Island. I mean, the median sale on Palm beach Island is $10 million. So I could, yeah, be, some nice homes there. <laughs> yeah. It would be way less stress for me to, uh, just focus on my own sales. I know a couple agents started growing a company and they fired everyone, had their wife come in as a partner and some admin and assistants for showings and open houses. And they're making a fortune. I grew up in a household where it was very entrepreneurial. I like to grow something that I can borrow against. I can sell, I could potentially pass down to my kids. Um, so I am willing to take a step back to take multiple steps forward. So, you know, it's having an, a, clear view of where you want to go with your own business. Do you want to have a team? Do you want to just hustle as a sole person? Do you want to scale your own company? Uh, do you want to take that company public? Do you want to get bought out by Douglas Element or Compass? Uh, and to be candid, you know, that's one of those mental exercises I've really had to look in myself 
So I think as a seasoned agent, if you're still in the business after 10 years, you've done something right. It's not easy. Real estate is not easy. A lot of people look at commissions and they're like, oh, realtors make too much money. They don't see all the blood, sweat, and tears often yep. it comes and all the deals that don't work out. So um, I would just say, you know, have a plan. I think a lot of times we kind of shoot from the hip, wake up every day, we're handling what's in front of us and we don't have a lot of foresight where we want to be in five, 10, 15 years. And I think that's important. What's the biggest challenge you've had in business and how'd you overcome it? Delegation. Delegation is the biggest. I've had a couple of times, especially early in my career, where I was like, out of it like a cannon and i had more clients than i knew what to deal with going on my strength of meeting new people uh networking uh becoming friends you know getting with the horse trainers which is a big feeder uh in my in my business but i felt like sometimes i had some clients early in my career got mad at me because i had a good problem to have i had too much business but that delegation thing i just didn't trust someone to like let go and fill in my my weaknesses um, whether that was, you know, sending those new properties they want to see, setting them up on an automatic drip campaign, getting that lease written up instead of focusing on the next listing or the next deal or the next showing. So delegation by far, humbly speaking, has been my toughest. And I've fixed that by bringing people in and being really lucky that they know that. And I'm candid with them about that. And they're way better at that than me. And they recognize some strengths that I have that they don't. So um, as cliche as it is, it's just finding the right people. All right, last question. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Uh, hopefully I will have a successful exit out of Bit Realty, whatever that looks like, a franchise model going public, 15 shops and I sell out to Compass or Douglas Elliman. Um, I like to swing for the fences, uh, as, as cliche it is. I will not be satisfied just having two boutique locations in Palm Beach County. Uh, life, as far as we know, you only live once, so you might as well do something interesting and frankly, something that scares you. And it scares me to think about that size of an operation. So I love the idea because if it doesn't scare you, it's not big enough, in my opinion, of a goal. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Ryan. Before we sign off, if people want to learn more about buying or selling with you, joining your team, or just connecting with you, mm -hmm. how, how do they get in touch? So my personal Instagram uh, somehow is available. It's just my last name, at Beckett. And then my company handles are all Bit Realty. We're pretty active on Facebook and um, on Instagram. Uh, my website's bitrealty.com. And we have a new lead capture home search site called the FloridaHomeGuide.com that we just launched as well. All right, everyone out there, check out Bit Realty and Ryan's Instagram. Uh, pretty cool that you were just able to get at Beckett. Uh, uh, but this has been a great show. Love the the, the information on technology and you know just just some different forward thinking areas that you were able to delve into. To all of our listeners and viewers out there, thank you so much for tuning in. And please leave us some feedback, give us some comments, and share this show with other people that you think could benefit from listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.